The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown. I'm so pleased to bring you this episode, which features a conversation between our own Herodotus Elenus and two medical education journal editors, Anna Cianciolo and Eric Dreesen. We recorded this conversation for a meeting of the Kern Collaboratories. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the Kern Collaboratories program is our small grants program where we fund researchers doing work on transformative medical education. This conversation was great for our Collaboratories members to hear, and we thought you would enjoy it as well. Welcome, welcome to both a podcast episode for Medical Education Matters, as well as this video recording for our collaboratories. Uh, I have the honor to introduce two of our guests today, uh, Eric Drissen, who is a professor of medical education at Maastricht University in the Netherlands, and he's the editor-in-chief for the journal Perspectives on Medical Education, and um, Anna Chanchalo, who is associate professor of medical education at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, and the editor-in-chief for the journal Teaching and Learning in Medicine. I am Herodotus Alinas. I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist. I'm also one of the uh, collaboratory's co-directors, along with Michael Brown, who is here with us today, but with a raspy voice. And um, I will uh, entertain uh, the audience with questions and hopefully some informative information from our guests. Uh, Thank you again, uh, both Eric and Anna for being here today. I'm going to start by asking just um, a couple questions to get us going. Um, Our collaboratories have been working for about one and a half years now, and some are contemplating dissemination of their acquired knowledge. You're both editors-in-chief. How do you advise them in proceeding? And Anna, I'll start with you first. Okay. Well, I... I guess my recommendations would be to proceed as you would proceed with any collaborative writing effort. Uh, you want to be sure to engage your whole team. And in by engaging the whole team, not just in writing the manuscript, but in thinking about what your dissemination outlet is going to be. Uh, there are several journals of medical education research, uh, but there are, of course, medical education journals that are that run more towards the humanities areas of of inquiry where your work might fit and so i think it's important to survey the full range of journals carefully to think about which ones fit fit the work that you the story that you want to tell about your work best and to do that collaboratively as a team so that the the writing that you do on your project is fit to that outlet that that you've chosen and that you've done it together. So it sounds like um, choosing the journal will be a key and um, supporting or working with your team in a collaborative 
fashion in order to promote whatever disseminable information you have. Yes, yes. So, um, and I know Eric stepped out for a minute. I will continue with you, Anna, so that we can get some um, further information from you. Mm -hmm. Um, You certainly have criteria for manuscript submission. Are there any tips for the teams to consider in submitting their work? Sure. And and here too, I would say that the criteria would be the same for, for the work that comes out of the collaboratory projects as for any other inquiry, is that you want to carefully examine the instructions to authors for the different article types and select the article type that best suits the again the kind of story that you want to tell about your work. I think one of the really great things about what the various collaboratories are doing is they're breaking new ground in in new ways on some important topics in medical education and so that may it may require dissemination in in unconventional formats or at least formats that are not that don't fit readily the research article type submission category that many most of the medical education research journals have. Um, so, so taking a look and being creative about what article type your work fits best, I think could be, and not trying to make your work fit a conventional research article if that's not the nature of the project that you did, will probably lead to quicker success with disseminating your article. And Eric, um, one of the pieces that Anna brought up was choosing the um, journal that you're going to disseminate the information to very carefully, as well as working with your team to both evaluate what criteria the journal has, but also to kind of put together the overall information that you're going to disseminate. Is there anything from your standpoint, from your um, experience that either will be different or any tips that you may give the teams to consider in submitting their work? Yeah, you can also have a look. uh, Each journal has its different uh, identity, taste, what word you would call, I would, you know, like advances in health science education is probably one of the most theoretical focused journal. And maybe medical teacher or publicist also very, or, or clinical teacher is, is practice focused. If you're, what you're working on is high, highly theoretical, you could, it makes sense to, yeah, to look at a journal like advances. And if it, but if the focus is more practical, yeah, then probably advances is not the right place for the paper. You know that that's also good to orientate uh, on. It sounds like not only choosing the journal, but also doing your own research about the appropriate journal to be um, for your manuscript to be delivered upfront. Because as we know, many times we, um, as educators, think that a journal may be appropriate, but we missed one of the focuses of the journal, and therefore you get um, rejection 
instead of perhaps a revision to acceptance based on the focus of the journal. So um, all those make sense to me. W what kind of um, submission formats are available? Like, um, I know, give us a little bit of an idea, Eric, from your standpoint for the perspectives. What are you looking for? Oh, yeah, we're in the end. We are looking for articles that have some uh, uh, news value that add something what we already is there. Or like Gary Gormley from Belfast, one of our editors, calls has the blitz uh, flag factor. It has something, uh, but that's probably more difficult. I hope everybody sees the news value in our own paper. Uh, you believe in your own work, so that's maybe a difficult one. Um, but uh, what I'm looking for is uh, now we have different paper categories, so it's broad, but it's um, uh, we are an international journal, so it must appeal to an international journal. If it's only about uh, the United States or about uh, Japan, uh, that's then we are not the right journal, so it must have a broader audience. And then we have different, yeah, like uh, Anna's journals. To to we have different paper categories, so we're looking for original research. Yeah? So I think all journals do, but we also have a place for more uh, education descriptions of educational innovations. That's called show and tell. Uh, there's also a place for more reflective papers, eye-openers, that's called. So that's more on a conceptual level, although they can be harder to uh, write and get published. And um, we also have more methodological, place for more methodological papers, like a qualitative space. So more papers about how to do qualitative research. So we look for variety of papers that add something to what is already available and um, uh, appeal to a, to an international audience. Anna, how about you? Anything? And I'll, I'll follow up with some questions, Eric, and some comments. But Anna, how about you from your standpoint? Any particular formats of submission that are available or you think of? What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. I, I would say our situation is very similar to Eric's in that we have a variety of different article categories that capture that we hope will capture new insights about medical education and speak to an international readership. Uh, and these include uh, groundwork articles, which typically are uh, articles that contribute to theory building. Um, they they usually tackling new areas of inquiry and uh, raise new questions about about this area that can be followed up with additional study. We have an investigations category, which is uh, theory testing kinds of experimental tradition types of papers um, that you know look at elements of of theory and and explore the bounds on their, applicability or generalizability. We have an observations category, which I think its closest cousin would be the scholarly perspectives category in academic medicine. 
We have educational case reports, which are meant to be in-depth reflections on interventions that are tried and exploring the, you know, the what happened with this intervention in terms of changes to learning process and, and outcomes. And then um, we also have a validation category, and those are aimed at featuring studies that that gather validity evidence for particular assessments or other instruments that we use in medical education. Uh, and that's the way things exist now. Uh, we're in the process of really thinking through overhauling the categories that we have so that we can feature articles that maybe depart a bit more from the research tradition in medical education and bring in more of the humanities, things like philosophy, history, literature, personal narrative, those kinds of things. And um, we're looking in the summer, I think, to introduce and unveil the new article categories that we'll be considering at TLM. Um, that's fantastic, um, Anna and Eric. It sounds like um, for an educator myself over the many years, I, I hear this reflective and narrative pieces that we're not, uh, you know, in, for many years, we're not part of the educational um, agenda, perhaps. And now they have risen more into the forefront of what we describe as papers or publishable material. Um, is there more, Michael was asking the question, are there any particular formats that you have been succeeding for more transformative work? Because the collaborators are all about outside the box, is this transformation in medical education. Is there some format that you would either encourage them to consider or that you encourage others to consider? Because remember, this is not just for the collaboratories. This is for the wider audience as well. Eric? Yeah, if, it's, if you want uh, to bring something really new, then probably in the more conceptual category of the eye-opener papers or commentary is uh, the place uh, to look for, for to, or the format to publish in. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I think that's probably, you could consider that, yes. And then Anna, from your standpoint? I guess my suggestion would be to, and I can't recommend this for all editors, but for us, some of the most interesting submissions that we featured in TLM have come emerged out of a dialogue with me. Um, someone has something novel, something potentially transformative. It, it's not clear which article category it fits, and we'll actually set up a time to chat about the work and explore what it is that the authors really want to say and how that might fit into one of the categories that we feature. And it also helps me to understand when we think about expanding our article categories, um, what those categories might need to be to feature the kinds of transformative work that people are engaging with now. It, it seems that they're there is a rapidly expanding way in which people 
want to tell the stories of their work and ways that people are receiving stories about their work. Uh, when we think about all the the dissemination possibilities that include things like podcasts and tweets and blogs and, and other formats, um, there's, there's actually a, a much wider opportunity, I think, to co-create these spots with journal editors than maybe we think of traditionally, at, at least at TLM. I can't speak for everyone, but that is certainly a lot of the fun in being an editor is, is working with authors on who are really trying to do something very different to figure out what format is going to represent what is truly transformational, uh, not just about the knowledge that a project creates, but the way in which they go about producing that knowledge. Yeah, I agree with that, Anna. Uh, yes, it's it's good if you when you are in doubt, then uh, contact the editor. I have an example. We just published a paper, a more philosophical paper, and they use gardening as a metaphor. And they made, the authors made a video. They acted in the video. So not a video to show how something is taught, an intervention, but a video to, uh, yeah, to put, to make, to help the metaphor, to communicate the metaphor. So, and they really doubted that then, we had discussions, should this be in the abstract or not, and things like that, because it's different. So yeah, I, I agree. In doubt, contact us with any of the journals. I think that would be my advice. That's that's amazing. I totally appreciate those comments from both of you, because you, you can imagine my anxiety when I was going to reach out to both of you to participate in this podcast and video recording. I was careful because I know Anna a little bit from the collaboratories. I don't know. I didn't know you, Eric. So I, I can imagine how challenging sometimes reaching out to heads of whatever, whether they're editors-in-chief, their leadership roles, and so on, makes it extremely challenging and difficult from a perspective of a junior faculty, especially trying to figure out reaching out to some of you. So I totally appreciate your willingness to at least have a conversation with a perspective author um, and at least discuss their project. Now, interestingly enough, I know that your journals are a little bit different. Um, Eric, you, yours is an open, uh, open access journal, and Anna, yours is not. It's a subscription journal. Uh, tell me a little bit about open access, Eric. What does that mean to the wider audience so that they understand this concept? Yeah, we are. We used to be, when I became an editor in 2013, we were a subscription journal, a paper-based. And uh, I changed it into an uh, open access journal. That's more a principal point, so that the articles are not behind the paywall, for so that they are accessible for everybody. Although uh, publishing industry uh, costs money, so uh, somebody has to pay the bill. So with a subscription money, your library pays the bill, and the, the academic libraries pay the bill. Uh, we have now we moved uh, this year to a non-commercial uh, publisher, Ubiquity Press, 
And um, so, but now we have to uh, calculate auto processing costs for authors who publish to be able to fund the open access. Uh, um, the, the idea behind open access is that science should be available uh, to everybody, but still the publishing has to be paid. So in the past, the Netherlands Association for Medical Education completely uh, supported us financially. They still do that, but uh, to be able to publish uh, the papers that we want, we also uh, require from authors an APC. Others from uh, lower middle income countries are waived from the APC. So actually the Netherlands Association for Medical Education pays for that. And so that, uh, yeah, that we are also accessible for authors from uh, that have less resources to pay APCs or do research. What a great support, Eric. And what a great way to um disseminate knowledge, information in a way that is available to, uh, as you said, low-income, low-resource countries, more than just the U.S., Netherlands, that have the ability to pay. Um, Anna, from your standpoint, um, again, a little bit different, and as Eric alluded to, financial is a big part of it. You know, without the money, how do you promote, uh, publish some of the information any any additional um, comments from you? Um, I guess I would just support the value of open access to articles as, you know, for the widest possible audience you could imagine. So there's the advantage of, of waiving the fees, the article processing fees for authors from low and middle income countries, but you've got the additional advantage that their libraries don't have to have expensive subscriptions to particular journals to access those articles. Um, so where, so our journal does not have, I mean, we have an open access option that authors can choose for individual articles and Taylor and Francis, our publisher has some open access journals like medical education online is an open access option. Uh, MedEd publish is open access as well. Um, I would encourage authors to consider, particularly if you have funding, which is, it's unusual for uh, for medical education research to receive funding, but for authors like those funded in the collaboratories, if you can use some of that funding to make your article open access, if it's not in an open access journal, uh, could be a wonderful opportunity to really diversify who can access that article and take it up for further transformation. Again, what great suggestions for authors from both of you. Thank you. It allows, I think, for authors like me or anyone in the audience to consider both reaching out to you to figure out what opportunities are available, but also in part funding the, the ability to publish an article. So thank you again for uh, those comments. I, I want to also ask you, I know over the many years you have encountered both opportunities and challenges in disseminating scholarly products. Any great wisdom? I, I'll admit this is a moment of vulnerability, but when I think of the challenges and opportunities that I've had as an author, I sometimes wondered if it's a, is it those who can't do edit? 
kind of situation um, because it's it's a challenge with each new article to figure out how best to get it into the literature. Um, and for me, I'd say when I reflect on my own work as an author and the challenges that, that are common to, to certain types of articles that I tried to get published, which have gotten published, but after a lot of work, is that I haven't been able to decide what is really the story that I want to tell about this work and what is the story that really fits the the reason why we conducted this study, uh, the data that were produced from that study, and the readers who are also potentially interested in what we did. Um, I find we, we do many practically inspired studies at my institution. That's the nature of the arrangement that our department has with the larger school. And um, oftentimes we'll encounter really interesting things that we didn't expect as a result of engaging in this much more practically minded inquiry. And so I get caught up in the interesting things and 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 will mistakenly sort of frame the paper around what we found instead of what we asked. Um, and that story can get confusing for readers and editors and peer reviewers and so forth. Um, so I, I would say to, to not be discouraged by rejections and to take full advantage of the extremely collegial uh, context we have for for peer review in medical education use the feedback that you receive and use it to to hone your message and to really reflect on what exactly is it that we're trying to say and and represents or constitutes the new insight that we're making to the literature by sharing what it is that we did uh, there's there's quite likely a home for your work somewhere assuming that you're you're doing work that has soundness to your inquiry process there's there's somewhere to place it but you really have to take full advantage of the peer review process to ensure that you're going to find a place for your voice somewhere i completely agree with uh, advice as we said don't wait with thinking where to publish when you have written it up the best time is when you start a project because cho some choices you make at the start in the design or the the question you ask can have implications for yeah the the can limit the possibilities for publication for example if you want to uh, publish in a biomedical journal even if you don't need a, a, a high sample size you maybe just do it because the, the, these kinds of journals just expect it. Or if you are writing a review and uh, you want to do a, a review that's uncommon for that type of journal, then yeah, then the fit between the journal and uh, the 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 study you're doing is not okay. So and make a plan. I always think make a plan B, C, or D. So if we first go to the BMJ, we need a concise paper. But we, we keep the, the long draft version of the paper because the chance we are 
rejected within 24 hours is quite big. And then we have this longer version and we can move to a, maybe a social science or a healthcare education journal. So that's, I always have A, B, C, and maybe D. I, I like this as an anesthesiologist. You have to have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, because if plan A and B doesn't work, you do have to have the rest of them um, on site in order to um, ensure clinical care. Um, that's, that's great advice. So don't wait. Start early whenever you're thinking. Have alternative plans and um, don't be afraid or discouraged by rejections. It's interesting. I'm a reviewer for the Journal for Graduate Medical Education. And as Anna alluded to, the peer review process is very um, robust. And therefore, um, the authors should take advantage of the comments that the reviewers are putting together. Many times I find myself thinking, what did the authors ask? And what is the story they're trying to tell? And I, I want to at least put it out there for all the authors that the peer reviewers are not there to reject the articles. They're there to provide a review with constructive criticism that will allow the authors to paint a clearer picture. And I think that's an important message that we all are trying to uh, let our authors know. Because the rejection doesn't mean that your paper is poor. It means that perhaps the picture that was painted wasn't clear enough or the way it was written needed a better way, uh, paraphrasing, in order to make it understandable for everyone. Um, as editors, do you feel that you're guiding or shaping medical education research? Or are you just there kind of hitting the ball, left, right, strikes, balls? Eric? I know baseball may not be the, the equivalent, you know, uh, metaphor there, but, you know, it could be soccer. And are you the goalie and trying to avoid every kick into your goalie or um, what, what, what's your role there? I have to admit, uh, I only went once to a baseball game that was in Boston and I left halfway because I had no clue what was happening on the field. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I maybe I don't know if it's true, but I have the feeling that I have that we as editors have some influence, at least in a positive way, because and that connects what you said about your role as a reviewer. We try to help the field, you know, to support authors. We try to support junior uh, authors, uh, people from underrepresented groups, and I hope by or policies and uh, also by writing editorials or writing commentaries uh, uh, that we move the field in a direction that I hope uh, will improve our field and will contribute to a better and more fair and equal healthcare force. So, and I, I, I noticed, Anna, you do a lot of, you have done a lot of work on this uh, the past year, I think, or, but we, we are, we are working at constantly. Maybe we feel more like butchers. We're killing your papers, but <laughs> but actually, not why we choose. You don't choose this. This this. It's not a job, but you don't do this because you have a, a mean character and you want to reject other one people's work. You do this because you want to help to move the field towards a, good, a direction that I hope is good. 
I, I could not agree more. I think that it would be impossible to come out of the societal upheaval and awakening that we've had over the last several years, thinking that editors are these objective adjudicators of what goes in the literature and what doesn't. I think that we're we are awakening to the role that editors have in in shaping the literature by the the by fiat of their gatekeeping role that they have. And so we have this opportunity to, and it's a unique opportunity, I think, to help advance the field, both in terms of the content that comes out of it and the diversity of people who contribute that content. And it it does take a lot of work. I mean, we, um, as Eric mentioned, we have primers and editorials that we write to facilitate and expand on voice. Um, there are several editors panels that are conducted at the various annual meetings in medical education. Uh, we have dialogues with authors about various papers. Um, we try to carefully craft our instructions to authors and our our comments to authors and decision letters to help frame the the overarching endeavor that the authors are involved in and that we're involved in when they're trying to get a particular paper published. Uh, so I think while on the one hand, I would not want, there's certain research that I find really super interesting and intriguing, but that's just one person's perspective. And I wouldn't ever want to gatekeep out an article that maybe didn't catch my fancy, but may catch the fancy of deputy editors or or other readers. Um, I do think that that I have a role in shaping the kind of work that that does get disseminated because of this role that I have. Well, and you brought up a very good point about medical education research priorities. So is there one for you, Anna? And I will ask Eric after that. Um, is there one as an editor? Do you have, a, a, as you said, some articles or some domains catch your I or the way they're written or the way the question is put there. Is there one domain that perhaps for you is more, is closer to your heart? Mm. Sure. I, I mean, I, I will say I come from a background in human factors. So the research that when I see the title in the abstract just really catches my eye. It's It's usually work that closely involves clinician educators or basic science educators in leading and designing that work collaboratively with with PhD trained authors. Um, so work that is grounded in the nature of the work that's being done when we teach and learn in medicine. Um, and I love, love, love direct observation kinds of studies, you know, the ones that the ethnographic ones that really wrestle with the complexities of, of what's going on in a teaching and learning situation and, and try to explore, you know, when we say that context matters, the ones that really explore what that means in a particular 
setting and for a particular phenomenon that's being studied. Um, so I love those kinds of studies. But again, it, it I'm very mindful that that I'm not you know, choosing out or deselecting articles that that don't necessarily that are more traditional um, and letting deputy editors and and peer reviewers decide on those. Um, but that's what gets me excited. I just I love, love, love the research that involves directly our community members, whether that community is is educators or the broader patient community in the work itself and then has generates novel insights about what's actually happening. Well, and it's interesting you brought that up as as an editor, you're, you know, the top of the pyramid, but you, you in a general you um, are as good as also your deputy editors and your reviewers because they can bring up some of the perspectives in medical education in particular, that are interesting to them or not interesting to them, and therefore allows for this promotion of medical education research or medical education knowledge, even if you may not like it or they may not like it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting perspective that the authors need to hear. Eric, from your standpoint, is there any medical education research priority for you as an editor? Is there something that is um, dear to your heart, catches your eye? Uh, your, I think your background always influences, like Anna just told, my background is assessment. So if, and there are some, there are those wicked problems that we are not able to solve. Does uh, uh, workplace-based assessment does it harm the learning or does it support the learning you know things like that that's interesting but I try to uh, yeah, keep my own preferences to the background I hope and so that's also why there we have a, a vice editor-in-chief Lauren Macchio who has a completely different background she is a meta scientist so she has her background so I try but what I really like, I also, I I like language. So p papers that are really well written, I I have to admit uh, they are more harder to reject for me because I just love them to read. So, but for me, it's what's, um, yeah, I think it's quite clear. Everything with about equity, inclusion, diversity, social justice is, I think, on, on all journals, high on the agenda, you know, that's uh, the thing that, yeah, that's the, probably the most uh, emergent topic at this moment. So uh, also what I was really looking for, we have had an influx of papers about COVID, about the pandemic, but very little with uh, uh, empirical research. So I would love to see now it's, uh, the pandemic, no, I hope it's a little behind us, <laughs> some distance, some more uh, uh, research grounded in uh, theory and uh, data. That would be good. Yeah. Well, that's that's fantastic. I, I hear you um, in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice piece. It, it's interesting to me, again, that 
10 years ago, that was kind of hidden somewhere under the carpet. And now it's in the forefront. And uh, I am so pleased to hear that, that for our underrepresented in medicine, uh, faculty, staff, um, students, learners, anywhere who are at least um, being um, it framed in a good way so that they can publish information that is so important to medical education and medical education research. Um, we're coming to our end, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, send a couple of take-home messages to our audience, to the collaborators, to the wider um, persons who may be listening to this. Anna, um, Medical education, editor-in-chief, um, expertise extraordinaire. Um, couple of take-home messages from you. I would say I, I think I have two main take-home messages. And the first is, and, and this is speaking both as an editor and, and as a collaboratory researcher, I want to encourage you. I know that your projects are, are far-reaching and complex and are exploring really important topics. And so the message would be to collaborate in, in developing your message that you're going to share with journals and collaborate in deciding what that journal will be and the article category. And in that collaboration, hopefully will include the editor and reaching out so that you can find the best way to to be true to your voice and speak to peer reviewers and editors that are going to be the gatekeepers to your work. Um, so definitely have a, a creative and collaborative mindset for thinking about how you're going to disseminate your work. And then closely tied to that was my second take home message, which is one of the big challenges of, of putting out transformational work is the lack of a large, ready pool of peer reviewers who know how to look at this kind of work and have the openness to look at this kind of work and, and be, uh, be open to transformational ways of doing work. So there is a role for you as a peer reviewer when this kind of work comes to journals. And then I hope that when you're reached out to in the call for peer reviewers that you'll that you'll respond positively and help us transform what we're what we see in medical education journals because you have that that openness and that expertise and that way of identifying with this kind of work that will really facilitate a, a peer review process and the quality of feedback that authors get on novel work. Eric, your turn. Take home messages based on your um, your role, your international work, your uh, um, yeah. I I can learn, I can expand your CV, but I don't have a lot of time to do so. So, um, any take home messages? Probably the most uh, uh, helpful thing for me was to be rejected a lot and. Uh, 
that's not on my CV, but uh, for example, when I started with my PhD, I tried to publish in an American journal, either in teaching and learning in medicine, that was before Anna was the editor, and in academic medicine, and it was always rejected, mm. desrejected, and I had no clue why. But mm. by, then by reading the journals and articles published in the journals, I got a better idea about the discussions that were typical for American journals and the way things are written up, the words used, because there's a, a difference in language or meaning of the, the same word, but with a different meaning. And um, yeah, Anna, you already said context is so important. So my first tip is to read. And my second uh, uh, tip is read widely. So also read outside your own interest field uh, outside uh, healthcare education so also biomedical journals or social science journals or uh yeah read read widely i what when it often goes wrong with my own papers or if i see people that um sent in papers that there was already work done on that topic that was not that could have helped to with the study or the writing or whatever so that would be my tip read and read widely thank you again for your time and effort i know michael put in he, in the chat box that one of the first question a good creative writing teacher asks what are you reading right now and i'm going to leave you with that thought uh, from, on behalf of uh, Michael Brown and Gerardo Salinas, the two of us were enthralled to have uh, Eric Drissen from the Netherlands and Anna Chancholo from the Southern Illinois University. Thank you so very much for your time and effort in participating uh, in this podcast and video Zoom recording. Thank you for inviting us. It was a pleasure. Mm -hmm.